All right, well, as the children are leaving with their leaders, we're going to turn in our Bibles this morning to Psalm 128, the 128th Psalm, verses 1 through 6. It's only six verses. We'll read them all today and see what the Lord is telling us through Psalms 128, verses 1 through 6. As you're turning there, let me say that it, we're living in a time. Maybe you noticed it. Maybe this is the first time you thought about it. But we're living in a time we're living today in which it is really difficult to be a good person. But as man, woman, or child, it's really hard today to just continue to do well and to do good. Now, some of you, if I said that, may be thinking, I'm not so sure that it's really all that hard. But think about whatever age you are, just think about how things today is so much different than maybe the day in which you were younger as a child and began to grow up. You know, for me, I'm 58. And I think about my childhood. Of course, I grew up in Hazleton, Indiana. I mean, it's a little river town, northern part of Gibson County. And, I mean, it's a relatively small town with almost nothing to do. So life was simple, and we stayed pretty much out of trouble. But, again, there was no internet. It was just not available at the time, so we did not have the world at our fingertips. A lot of things maybe weren't available to us. We didn't have game systems, personal computers, didn't have cell phones. I mean, they may have been around, but if they were, we didn't know about it. So when it came time for us to do something, as a child, we just went outside and started playing. Ride our bikes, play baseball, whatever it was, we did that, and we did it nearly all day. But when we get darker and it came time for us to come back in, maybe we got to watch a little TV. So TV was a bonus for us. Now, the real bonus was if we got more than three channels because we basically got only three. Channel 7, Channel 14, and 25, that was just about it. Now, on a good day, if the weather was right and the antenna was pointing the right direction, we might get six. But that was about it. But here's what I remember about that. Never on any channel we ever watched did you ever see a man or a woman without clothing. It just didn't happen. Also, what I remember is when it came time for supper or dinner, everybody gathered around the table, and we ate together as a family. We had that family time. And that's just a couple of items that I was thinking about last week. I was thinking about today's message, and that's just maybe four or five items, but think about how that's so much different today. Because on TV, I mean, it's no longer a bonus. It's just always available, these big, large screen TVs. We had the big box, you know, sitting on the ground that, you know, it, 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 it would hurt somebody if it ever fell on you. Now, a big screen TV will too, but it's nothing like today. And today, you get 150 to 300 channels to watch, and there's still nothing on TV, it seems. But when you finally find something, you have to filter it so your children don't see what they shouldn't be seeing on TV. It's just a commonplace. Referring to the Internet, the Internet certainly is available today in every possible avenue, and you can learn anything and everything on the Internet. In fact, the Internet could be solely responsible for the success of the pornography industry that seems to exist today at large extent. Dinner time, pretty much non-existent for families today to be together. Now, it does happen 
but it doesn't happen very often. In fact, it seems that when families are together at dinner time, they're probably more interested in what's on their cell phone or what's on the television than they are really gathering the table and having a family meal. You could go on and on, but perhaps you're getting the picture that things have changed drastically over my time span and maybe in yours, the last 50 plus years, if you're that old, you've seen a lot of things change. Some things, it seems, for the better, but a lot of things, not so much. So again, I say we live in a day, we live in a time when it is very difficult to be a good person, whether it's a man, woman, or a child. Because the amount of temptations available today are enormous, which then makes living a good life and being a good person, doing the right thing, rather difficult. But the good news is that we can overcome that. We can overcome all that because we should choose to obey, as Christians certainly choose to obey and follow the Word. Now, when we choose to follow and obey the Word of God, it can not only lead us as people or individuals into rightful, right living, but it can change the course of an entire nation. And that change can occur one generation at a time. Now, that's a rather large statement to make, and maybe you're even skeptical, so you see behind me when I say it one more time, that when we begin to choose to exercise in our life obedience and choose to follow the Word of God as it is written, not to distort it, but to receive it in full, it can not only lead us into living in the right manner, but it can change the course of an entire nation. And that would occur one generation at a time. You say, okay, I heard that twice now. What are you getting at? How can the change, such a change occur? And the change occurs by teaching, preaching, and listening to the Word of God. Because every one of us, when we call ourselves Christians and believers, we should start to see that every one of us then have a standard of living, and it's only in the Word of God that we have our standard of living. And when we teach that to our children, it can begin to change the course of a nation, if they continue to follow, if we continue to preach and teach, if they continue to listen. Now, there's many different texts to lead us into how we can be able to receive benefit and how it can help the well-being of the home and the nation. But the text we look at today is one of many. It's the Psalms 128, which I alluded to. Only six verses, but it's six powerful verses. So let's stand together this morning and read the text together, and then we'll have a time of understanding and a time of application. So Psalms 128, verses 1 through 6, tells us in verse 1, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children, like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. Maybe you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Father, we thank you today, Lord, for the reading of your word. And this is a few verses, Lord, today for us to consider 
to how we can be helping the well-being of our home and nation. We pray, Lord, that you'll lead and guide and direct us now, this morning, first receive clarity upon the Scripture, but also see how it applies to our modern-day lives. So we invite your Spirit now to lead and guide and direct us here today. We thank you for what shall happen here today and what shall we apply and what we shall learn. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as you're being seated, let me first say there's a lot I could tell you about Psalms 128, probably more than we could even have time. But allow me to first tell you then that the psalm is written within a group of psalms, as it so happens to be with any number of psalms, within 150 in this entire book. But this grouping happens to be from Psalms 120 to Psalms 134, which are known as Songs of Ascent because they were sung by pilgrims making their way into Jerusalem. Jerusalem is located in a mountainous area. So what happened here as people began to make their pilgrimage into Jerusalem is they began to sing these songs of ascent. Now, just what happened when Sheila and I visited Israel in March of 2016, the tour bus that we were on was making its climb into the elevation, into the hillside of Jerusalem. And as our tour bus then was making this climb into the hilly area to get to the city, we began to sing or, or read each of these different psalms from 120 through 134. 128 is right in the middle of it. But it was kind of cool of how we were reading these songs of ascent as we were ascending into the city of Jerusalem. So that's one thing that's noteworthy maybe about Psalms 128 is that it's a collection of psalms or songs that was recited by families as they made their way into Jerusalem, as they ascended into the city. But it's also noteworthy that Psalms 128 is sometimes known as the marriage prayer because it's sung at Jewish weddings. When you read it in that particular context, thinking about that, it begins to actually sound like the toast that the best man gives at a wedding reception. But maybe most importantly for us, at least here today, is that this particular psalm is associated with the well-being of the home and the nation. And maybe that is because I mentioned earlier how, how the people would make their pilgrimage to Jerusalem and it would recite these things together as they made that pilgrimage and ascended in the city. So maybe that's why it's associated with the well-being of home and family. Because families were reciting it together as they made their way to Jerusalem. 127 is actually a lot like Psalms 128 because it points to God's blessings that he gives and tends for the home and for the family. Therefore, it's good for us to review this psalm here this morning because the psalm points us back to reality, as it's said by John Phillips, that our welfare of the state, our welfare of our nation, depends on the welfare of the home. Now think about that. How our nation proceeds is largely dependent on the welfare of the home. The welfare of the home, he continues to say, depends on the spiritual condition of the head of the family. Now, if we don't know what we're going to learn later, the head of the family by God was chosen to be the man, the father. But this is not limited to fathers today. Because Phillips continues to say that the safety of the state or the safety of the nation depends on the sanctity of the home. And the sanctity of the home 
depends on the spirituality of the parents. The man may be the leader that God intended for the home, but it's up to the parents to actually lead the home in the right manner, the right way, godly. He says further, no psalm in the Hebrew hymn book needs to be preached more insistently than this one. Well, that's a lot to be said already. But with the observation and the quotes we've now considered from John Phillips in his commentary on the Psalms, let's begin to preach this Psalm. Let's begin to receive this Psalm. Let's begin to see how it can help us in our home and in our nation. And there's steps given. The first step is this, as it applies to everyone, no matter regardless of age or gender, it applies to everyone that we must Always be at the proper center with the proper circumference. The first verse alludes to this. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. We must always be having the proper center and the proper circumference. As you hear that, it almost sounds too easy. I mean, if it's just one verse that tells us to fear the Lord, it almost like it's too easy, just too simple. But the truth is this, that if we truly want to have a happy, prosperous home, living a good life, then our life as father, mother, children, our life, the life of the family, must be centered in the Lord. If we truly want that good life, to be prosperous, to be blessed, our home our lives must be centered in the Lord. Now note in verse 1 how the psalmist words the center. As he says, it belongs to those who fear the Lord. Now, a little secret here is this. That if we truly fear God, we shall fear nobody else. And then it leads to prosperous, blessed, happy people, as alluded to in Psalms verse 128, verses 4 and 5 of our reading today. But just think about it. I mean, just let it penetrate your heart and mind for a while because it's completely true. The Word of God should be our center to lead us into blessing, prosperous, good life, and a happy home. But with most people, that's about the last thing. The fear of God would be the last thing they would ever think about when thinking about how we can have happiness or prosperity, or even well-being. I mean, people tend to think, for the most part in this country especially, that to give us happiness, well-being, and life, the thing that would make them the most happy and help them would be money. People tend to think that happiness is associated with money. Or maybe they think this, that the perfect marriage will give them happiness. Well, I'm here to tell you, I've been married 37 years, yeah, and we have a great marriage, but there's no marriage perfect. I mean, you got two sinners coming together, living as one, and there's just twice as much to be wrong. So no marriage is perfect. But so the people think then that the very last thing to ever think to give them happiness, they think it's money, the last thing to ever give them happiness would be fearing God. And you think it's money. So thinking about this, last week I began to read about a lady named Barbara Hutton. Never heard of her before. And maybe you haven't even heard of Barbara Hutton either. 
But apparently she was the granddaughter of F.W. Woolworth. Now that name might sound familiar to some of you because F.W. Woolworth was the founder of the Five and Dime stores. That was forever so popular. No, we don't have Five and Dime stores today. But Five and Dime stores were extremely popular during their day. Very successful. In fact, many people today claim who are the major retailers of Walmart and Target, some of them, they say the model that Woolworth made of the five and dime is what leads to their success today, which they still enjoy. But Hutton, as the granddaughter for F.W. Woolworth, received quite an inheritance when he suddenly died. I say quite an inheritance she received at the age of 12. She received $25 million. Now, $25 million is maybe not a lot of money today by some standards, but to me, that's still a lot of money. So I'm thinking to myself, $25 million as a 12-year-old, what are they possibly going to do with it? And if you have $25 million as a 12-year-old, don't you think that that could give you a lot of happiness? I mean, so do you think that $25 million as an inheritance could buy you happiness? Do you think it's possible? For some people, they would say, yes, it is. But in Hutton's life, it did not. Years later, as she grew older, in fact, she died at the age of 66 on May 21st of 1979, so it's been a while. She died really as an unhappy person. So let me give you a portrayal of her life with this $25 million. Listen to this. In her lifespan, then from 12 when she received inheritance to 66 years old when she died, she married seven husbands. Among them were, I mean, Laotian prince, a Lithuanian prince, a Russian prince, a Prussian count, and a Hollywood film star. That was five among the seven. Her health was plagued with sickness continually. Her illnesses ranged from kidney disease to cataracts. When she died, she died of a heart attack. It says the last years of her life found her to be a recluse, often bedridden, weighing only 80 pounds. The newspapers, when she died, referred to her as the poor little rich girl. The point of that illustration, the point of Barbara Hutton is that money did not buy her any happiness. The entire point really is that happiness, well-being, prosperity is not to be found in marriage or any kind of money, no matter what amount of money you may have. I mean, something else is needed to have well-being and to have prosperity, happiness, and blessing. And true happiness, then, is not, cannot be, divorced from God. Peace Harmony and order have their center in God because God is the proper center for each and every one of us. But notice as we recognize that God truly is the proper center, we mentioned how we have to have a proper circumference. What is the proper circumference to keep us properly centered? Well, verse 1, going back to it one more time, makes it clear. It refers to those who are blessed, who fear the Lord, walk in his ways. Notice that last portion of that verse, walk in his ways. 
which means then that we must have boundaries in our lives. Kids need boundaries in their lives to keep them focused, to keep them centered. But so do adults. All of us, we still have to have boundaries and limits. So what would be our boundaries and our limits? It's the law, the word of God is the commandments. Now, side note real quickly is that keeping those commandments in no way will save you. Only Jesus Christ saves. But yet we still need a circumference. We still need boundaries and limits. I mean, think of it this way. In our lives as believers, our lives as Christians and followers, some things are just out of bounds, which means that there's some places we just should not go. Or there's some books, some magazines that we simply should not read. Or there's some movies that we just should not watch. And there's some people that we should not admire or even dare emulate. Why? Because we must draw the line where God draws the line. Now, we mean we always got to like it. I mean, when I was a child, my mom was not here today, and her and my mom and dad, I mean, they, they set some boundaries for me. They set some curfews. They set some limits. I didn't always like it. But I understand as I grew older that it was for my best interest and my well-being. And the same still applies to us as adults. We still need an outer circumference. Because outside the circumference, we will find guilt, fear, sorrow, and death. So note that the psalmist spells out this very truth for us. When he says, blessed is everyone who walks in his ways. Walks in his ways. If you still have your Bible open, circle those words, his ways. Underline it, highlight it, do something. It's his ways. It's his ways, not our way. Not the way of a particular crowd. Not the way of your favorite movie star or sports star. And certainly not the ways permitted by a godless, sinful, evil, wicked society that we're living. Only the ways of God. That is the secret of the Lord's blessing. A proper center, but the proper circumference. Now, if we can keep that proper center in the proper circumference, then watch this. Because it alludes to the psalmist here that if we keep that proper center and proper circumference through all of our lives, then there is result. The psalmist alludes to three items indicative of a well-being of the home and nation. And here they are. That everything will be in check with your finances, your future, and your family. Verses 2 through 6 reveal this truth as the psalmist gives to us if we keep the proper center with the proper circumference. The first one note is our finances. Now, finances are referred to in some way in verse 2. But notice that verse 2 speaks of the fruit of your labor. And how then you shall be blessed. It's interesting as we think about finances, some people look upon this verse and say, well, I'm not rich. I'm not blessed. I have fruit of my labor, but I'm not rich by any means. I'm not wealthy. 
But listen, the verse doesn't tell us we're going to be rich. What it does say is that God will take care of you in regards to your finances. That does not in any way equate to the Lord giving you all that you want, but rather what you need. Many different years ago, back in 2009 to be more precise, a consulting firm that plant man, uh, the plant I was working for in the chicken business, a consulting firm came in and triggered my release, my removal of the plant manager. Now, I got to admit, be honest with you, that at that particular moment, I was living pretty large, a bit lavishly with the compensation of the level I had obtained. But the income then was suddenly erased when I was removed as a plant manager. And things began to get pretty tight. I mean, our family had to make some drastic changes in our spending habits. But ultimately, that time, that experience proved to me that God was in control and would take care of our finances. No, maybe it wasn't as much as I was making as a plant manager, and honestly, maybe it was more than I wish we had. But God gave us all we needed. It demonstrates that while the Lord may not give us all we want, he will certainly see that we have all that we need. I like the way that Paul words it in Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Jesus Christ. Properly centered, focused lives of parents and families have God provided all the financial and monetary needs. They may wish they had more, but God will provide what they need. The other thing then was our future. Note that the psalmist does not directly say as a result of properly centered and having the circumference that God will bless every future endeavor. But he does say at the end of verse 2, it shall be well with you. As in your future is bright. As you have nothing really to worry about. And notice even in verses 3 through 6 that it leads us into how we can recognize we have in a blessed future that we have an adoring wife, or that we have the blessing of children, or the prosperity of a nation, or long enough life to even see our children's children, our grandchildren, which is a wonderful, true blessing for all of us to enjoy. All those are really, in verses 3 through 6, indicative of a bright and promising future. But then notice this. This is God speaking. This is God's word. So God is like guaranteeing that we can count on all this. But the problem is with us then. Meaning that these things pertaining to our bright future may not come to pass because we failed at being properly centered and having a proper circumference to live by. It's available for all. But we fail at receiving the ultimate blessing in regards to our future at times because of the fact that we cannot stay properly centered. But for the person who can stay faithful and true, verse 4 reveals that we be blessed. Thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. So finally, then, there also is our family. Again, it's verses 3 through 6, but notice in verses 3 through 6, which we alluded to once, 
what a blessing. What a gift it is. We may not always think so, but listen to me. It's a gift. It's a blessing to have family. It's a blessing to have if you're a man, a loving wife, who really becomes the heart of the family. The woman's like the glue who holds it all together. And it also then bears children for us to nurture and to grow. That eventually leads to our children having children, which leads to us having grandchildren that we can spoil and send away. But it's interesting because sometimes we take family for granted. And as we take family for granted, we should know at the same time that simultaneously Satan is attacking the basic core and fabric of the family. He's been attacking the family for many generations. I mentioned earlier how family dinner time is like non-existent. It's like doesn't really happen much anymore. In fact, family time is becoming a thing of the past. I love it when I go on Facebook and I see families who travel together on vacation and they just are all together. They see these smiling faces. It's not probably always smiling faces when you're on vacation or living at home, but it's good to have that family time and make those memories. And Satan is trying to destroy all that. He's trying his best to destroy the basic fabric of a family. Now think about that for a moment. Family time is becoming a thing of the past. And Satan is trying his very best to destroy the fabric of a family. He's doing everything he possibly can to destroy the family unit. And in some cases, this seems to be uh, succeeding. I mean, are, 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 uh, winning. But listen, since it's Father's Day, let's just kind of change gears for just a moment and expand upon this observation that Satan is attacking the family because we need to know his tactic. We need to acknowledge that Satan begins his attack on the person that God chose to be the leader. We mentioned earlier that God chose the leader of the family to be the man. In God's infinite wisdom, he distinguished long ago as the man to be the head of the family. That's not always popular, certainly in our culture today, but that was what ordained God to do. It's written in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, and also again in 1 Corinthians 11, 3, that God ordained man to be the head of the wife, to be the head of the family. But let us just run with that for a little bit longer. Because let us recognize as Satan is attacking the family and now the leader of the family, that it seems to be that we're getting the times in a desperate situation. Because, I mean, the whole message is talking about how the well-being of a home and nation. And we need to recognize that the basic premise that exists for success within the nation would be that the family stays together receiving the word of God. It happens less and less. So Satan then is attacking the leader of the family, attacking the man. So did you know that the 2020 census revealed some alarming things? The 2020 census revealed that the percentage of single mothers in this country is at an all-time high. Now that's probably not surprising to you. But the census revealed that 23% of homes in this country had children living with a single mother. 23%, that's a quarter 
of all the homes in this country have a single mother. And not only did it reveal that alarming statistic, the next bit was even more alarming. That one-third of that nearly 25% of a single mother leaving the home are living in poverty. It also showed the 2020 census that the percentage of families are the number, rather. Not the percentage, but the number of families without the presence of a father at home is now 19.5 million children. 19.5 million children are living without the presence of father, and honestly, some of them don't even know who their father is. Now, that's one in four according to the 2020 census that was taken in our country. Now, with those statistics, we need to honestly, not to be critical of men here, but we need to be more critical of the male race. We need to get fathers together today, like we need to go out into our community, gather them all together, and say, hey, Look, our dude, are you available? Are you a companion to your wife and to your kids? Or are you just a passerby? Because we see a lot of fatherless homes these days, and the effects are disastrous. According from a Time Magazine article, Dr. Harold White notes this. The studies of young criminals, listen to this. The studies of young criminals have found that more than 70% of all the juveniles in the state reform institutions come from fatherless homes. Children from broken families are nearly twice as likely as those in two-parent families to drop out of high school. Now that's incredible. But what I'm about to tell you is just heartbreaking. Studies show that the average father Spend seven and a half minutes a week with her teenager. That's just sad. The average father spends seven and a half minutes a week with her teenager. I have more time with that teenager on the bus. The school certainly has more time with that child during the week. The world has a lot more time with that teenager. I mean, the average father spending seven and a half minutes a week with their teenager is incredible. So no wonder we have children who have no idea who God is. And we have no longer the well-being of the home and the nation. The Bible says that we need to bring the children up in nurture and admonition of the Lord. Refers to in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. So we need to recognize, and I'm not preaching to the choir of men here, that a father's work is not their work. It's not in building a successful business. A father's greatest work is just in being a father. Being available for his wife and his children and just raising a family. The father's greatest work is just being a companion. 
I mean, side by side with their wife, making decisions for the family, helping their son and daughter through school, through study, sports, whatever it is. A, a father's greatest work is in being the leader of their home by being in the home. A father's greatest work is in being a spiritual leader and raising God-loving children. I mean, what I guess what I'm saying is when it comes to the well-being of home and nation, men have responsibility. John Phillips, once more quoting him, says, An unspiritual father will often produce unsaved children, and unsaved children will build an unstable state. I mean, it's kind of obvious, perhaps, to state this, but you cannot grow children and the next generation who will love God by setting up rules and then coming home once in a while and enforcing those rules, which is what a lot of men try to do. You have to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Otherwise, Satan will take the moment. He'll attack each generation, and each generation, as we're already starting to see, become more distant from God. Now, I have to bring things back full circle because I kind of singled out men for a moment this Father's Day, but I'm going to tell you, that's not just meant for fathers. That's meant for parents to apply together. That's for all of us to receive. And I know I'm looking at all of you, and I'm seeing a lot of people who have great, successful families. I know I'm preaching to people who are already having the, the message and they're living the truth. I mean, they're, they're conveying to the children what we need to convey to the children about God's word. But people may be listening or watching later, however it works out, that may need to hear this. So yesterday morning, I wake up early. I wake up at 3 o'clock on yesterday morning to go back to sleep. So I stumbled into the living room, grabbed my phone. I, I got a one-place app on my phone, which allows me then to hear various messages by various preachers all across the country and one of my favorites to listen to sometimes is Charles Stanley. He's not so popular among some people today, but I still like to listen to Charles Stanley. And Stanley's message yesterday morning was about what was titled Our Unchanging God. But the content of what I was listening to had portions that directly related to the point we're making today and acknowledge about Satan's intent to try to destroy the family. Because remember, Satan recognizes that when he destroys the family, it has an adverse effect for well-being of the home and the nation. He understands that. We need to understand that. Destroying a family has an adverse effect on the well-being of a home and nation. But listen, if you will, for a moment, and you're going to read behind me, some of Stanley's words that took them was listening and began to write it down. Because he said this, what this generation needs the generation today, our children, a bunch of children were up here earlier. This is the generation we're talking about. This generation needs is a generation of men and women who are committed by faith to the God of the Bible and not to the God of the culture in which they live. Our culture covers up the truthfulness of God, but the scriptures reveal God as he is with no counterfeit and no cover-up. That's the beginning of what he was saying. But he said more. And I'm going to give you a longer quote, so just bear with me as we come to an end here, okay? Because he also said this. Our young people grow up 
in spiritual death. He said, we have grown a generation of young people who for all practical purposes know not the God of the Bible because the God they're hearing about is a weak God, no longer sovereign, no longer mighty, and probably no longer all-loving. He says man has become the center, the heart, and the core. He continued. He says we don't teach our children and instruct them by our life in our walk. As parents, we will raise a generation of young people who will not know God or the Bible. Then he said this, no generation of young people who have ever lived apart from the New Testament has ever had the access and the privilege to so much knowledge. The Internet is so available to so much knowledge, so much truth, and so available under God as the youth of today. They have everything at their disposal, right? So then notice this. Here's where river meets the road. It's just no group of young people. I put this in all bold, in all capital letters. No group of young people will be so accountable to God as a generation that now lives. That's our children. The vast majority of them who do not know anything about God. No generation will ever be so accountable as this generation of today because they have so much available to them in which they could use to promote Christ and to certainly have the well-being of the home and the nation. And that's a really long quote, and the message is probably getting pretty long itself. So the last thing to maybe ask and consider then as we have a message today referring to Psalm 128 about the well-being of home and nation, is what does all that mean to us as Christians? What does it mean to us as parents here today who love God? And it means this. For the well-being of home and nation, for home and family, we better get things turned around right now. We can't wait any longer. It belongs to us. We've kind of inherited this. So it means this, then if parents of this country, parents of the state, parents of the area in which we're living are going to neglect their role, then we, as a church together that we are, we must step up. We have got to step up. Now, we're doing good, but there's probably some things we could do better. And one of the things that's immediately coming up we alluded to earlier is Vacation Bible School. Vacation Bible School is the largest children outreach in this country. There's nothing like Vacation Bible School. We need to shout it out that we're having Vacation Bible School coming up in July, the 19th to 23rd. And if we have to go pick kids up, let's go pick kids up. Do anything we possibly can to get those kids here. Their parents may not come. Their parents may not bring them. But at least we get the children, that next generation, who we need to be educating in the Word of God for them to receive that for the well-being of our home, the family, and the nation. We need to start praying now for Vacation Bible School this year to not be just a little successful, 
but to penetrate the hearts of those young minds and hearts, those kids coming here. Let's begin to pray for Vacation Bible School so we can then, in our way, affect the well-being of home and nation. Father, Lord, thank you for this message. Thank you, Lord, for how it speaks truth for us and perhaps even in a direct way, as a way, Lord, of penetrating our heart and into our soul. But, Lord, it's the message perhaps that maybe the whole country needs to hear. We do our part today, Lord, by receiving your word. Lord, I have no doubt you want us to hear on this day. It's Father's Day, Lord. Maybe it's appropriate in some way, some setting. But Lord, I pray then that you'll lead us and guide us as men and women gather here together as children, Lord, to be able to bring glory to you and to, to educate this next generation. Or we have teenagers here who can also educate the next generation. Now, you pray, Lord, to all of us be ready and willing and able to step up in whatever capacity you want us to be to make your name heard, to make it known. That's our mission here, Lord, to know you, but to also make you known to others. So let us receive that mission. Let's march out, Lord, bold and courageous. Preach your word and bring, bring kids here, Lord, and families to hear your word so we can turn around the direction that this nation is headed. Would you start our community? Lead and guide and direct us now, Lord, in our effort. You get the glory for all we say and do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.